Okay. Well, uh, you guys get your Bibles out, open them up to Romans chapter 8. I think that was four minutes or so, <laughs> maybe a little more. Looking at verses 12 through 14, sermon to today is titled, Mortify the Deeds of the Flesh. As we look at verse 12, therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. (laughs) So we start out in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. Now, back in the 90s, there was a popular way to kind of prank people, trick people, psych people out. And it was essentially by encouraging them or saying something positive and then throwing the word not at the end of that sentence. Does anybody remember this, right? Uh, Hey, your hair looks good today. Not, right? Your Adam's apple isn't that big. Not, right? You're good at soccer. Not, sure, I'll go to homecoming with you. Not, right? All those sorts of things. Here, Paul uses the same trick with us, right? We are debtors, not, right? We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. And this just ties in so well with the last three chapters. Romans 6, 7 says, for he who has died to the flesh has been freed from sin. Or 6, 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law but under grace. We're not in debt to the flesh to live according to the flesh, but now as believers who've received the the salvation life of the gospel, we're in debt to the indwelling spirit of life to live out our new God-given life and put to death everything and anything that's incompatible with the life that the Lord has bought for us. We're not debtors to the flesh anymore. We don't owe the flesh anything. It's been paid off. Have you ever paid off your debt and just felt the lifting of that weight from your shoulders? My son in his uh, school is taking the Dave Ramsey, you know, financial freedom course as a high schooler. And I can't say that that's the method that we follow necessarily in our home, but he's learning this as a young man and he's just learning to be responsible and he's just like challenging his mom, his CPA mother, you know, who has a pretty savvy understanding of things and mom, you're just putting yourself in bondage, you know, or this or that, you know, and she's like, yeah, but okay, just working out another perspective here, this or that. And, um, but it is wonderful thing when you don't have any debt or when that debt has been paid, we don't own Any loyalty or an ounce of loyalty to anything who would drag us into the flesh. It has no claim on us. We don't owe a moment to a subscription that's just been paid. And in regards to the flesh, you may say, well, I just paid for this lust causing agent. I might as well use it up before I repent and walk in the spirit. It's like, no, today's the day of salvation. Don't let that, you know, 
don't let that substance run out. Don't let that, um, don't let that subscription run its course before you change direction. Change direction today. Why pay for your destruction? You don't owe the flesh anything, anything but war. Now we owe the spirit. First Corinthians 6 20 says you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's in Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 and 16 says, see, I've set before you today life and good death and evil. And that I command you today to love the Lord, your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, his just judgments that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you go to possess. And just feel at this point in Romans, just the Lord has set before us life and liberty. Or you go ahead and choose death and destruction as your path. But today the Lord would say, that's not what I've set before you. I have set blessing before you if you'd hear my voice. You're not a debtor to the old ways anymore. Look at verse 13 and Maybe put a star around verse 13 or next to verse 13. Put brackets around the verse. Got your highlighter out. You didn't bring a highlighter. Borrow your wife's nail polish. You know, put a big glob of something beautiful next to it. Because this verse has just been a key for me since high school. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. John Stott says that is there is a kind of life which leads to death. And there is a kind of death that leads to life. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you behave according to human nature, you will die. The NIV says, if you live according to its dictates, you will die. The LEB version says, you're going to die. I kind of like that as I was studying, like, you're going to die, right? Don't live according to the flesh any longer. Galatians 6, 8 says, for he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. Jeff Wilson says, we do not confuse a false sense of security in sin from a true experience of salvation from sin. And maybe you're just at a place where you've still been practicing sin. You've been letting it go on. You pretty much become numb to it and you feel like the Lord's okay with it. Me and God are good. We've kind of made a pact or a deal and I don't feel conviction for it anymore. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I feel secure. And, and I thought Wilson was so right in saying that, man, that's a false sense of security. And the Lord wants to take you past that. That's not real life. That still leads to death. He wants to bring salvation from sin. And the second part of this verse, verse 13 says, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, normally when I'm, you know, going through the text with you, we go 
in order and how the word, this verse is written out in the sentence structure. But before we get to, but if by the spirit, I'm going to call that a, we're going to put a towards a little bit later today. And we're going to tackle this last part of the verse first. Okay. And, and it is you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. So that's the B here. We're going we're gonna to do B first, if you don't mind. So you put to death the deeds of the body. You execute the deeds of the body. Put a kill shot to the head. Stop completely the deeds of the body. And one of the first things that we see here is who needs to kill sin? You. You need to, all right? Don't kill others' sin. Let them work on that. You take care of the plank in your own eye first. You kill your sin. Don't be a sin sniffer going around in other people's lives. Take care of your own home base, all right? You kill your sin. I need to kill my sin. You need to kill your sin. Someone once said, a believer's life will be marked with courageous action against sin and towards holiness. Whatever sin, the answer is a practical labor. Kill it. Kill it. The King James Version. Anybody here got the King James today? Come on, people. Don't you know that's the the real inspired? We got one in the back. All right, cool. All right. This gentleman will notice this beautiful word, mortify. King James Version, mortify. It's the process of putting to death the body's misdeeds. Now, I have a special fond memory of this word, mortify. When I started walking with the Lord, I was 14 years old, just going 15. When I personally, I had known Jesus early on in life, but I was baptized with the Holy Spirit when I was 14 and just started passionately living for Jesus. And it was at a youth camp, summer camp. I didn't want to go. My sister made me. Went with a bunch of people I barely knew. Was put in this junky old cabin. You could see through the boards in the wall. It was a rusty bunk bed, a single light bulb swinging in the middle. Pull it on a string. That's how you start it. And just, I don't even know what happened, but just some of the guys were like, let's pray for each other before we go to sleep. And the Holy Spirit fell in that room. And we were up half the night just worshiping and weeping and confessing sin and just being filled, overflowing with the Holy Spirit. Just an incredible, and I'll tell you what, I've never been the same again. Just incredible experience where the Holy Spirit came upon me. And I remember that night getting back under, the, I was on the bottom bunk of this rusty bunk bed and the guy would move on top and rust would fall down in my, you know. But my youth pastor spoke into my life and, and to the other young men there as we're confessing sin. And he says, you know what? The Bible says, young men, if you mortify the deeds of the flesh, you will live. And so something we just kind of made this pact that day that whenever we would be encountered with lust, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, you know, young men stuff, right? We would shout out, mortify, mortify. And I'll tell you what, I think all night long when we were trying to sleep in that cabin, we'd hear, mortify, 
right? You know, what's going on over there? And we woke up and we went to breakfast, mortify, you know, and we're just seeing these beautiful girls at camp and just it's where we're going to meet our future wife, mortify, mortify. We're just walking around a couple years, mortify, mortify turned into bachelors to the rapture. Okay, like we're going to just charge for the Lord. Forget the flesh. We're going to serve Jesus till he comes back. Bachelors to the rapture. And then like, you know, a month later, we're like, will you go to homecoming with me? You know, or whatever. Um, but, uh, but I remember just one girl came up to one of the popular older upperclassmen guys and just said, you know, I'm really glad for what the Lord's doing in your life, but you're really bumming all of us ladies out when every time you see us, you shout out mortify with like 15 guys, you know? Nevertheless, mortify, right? Mortify the deeds of the flesh. John Stott says, mortification is neither masochism, taking pleasure in self-inflicted pain, nor asceticism, resenting and rejecting the fact that we have bodies and natural bodily appetites. It is rather a clear-sighted recognition of evil as evil, leading to such a decisive and radical rejection of it that no imagery can do it justice except putting to death. In fact, the verb Paul uses normally means to kill someone or hand someone over to be killed, especially of the death sentence and its execution. And so right now, I want you to think about the deeds of the flesh that have got your number today. And as we spend the next, you know, 40 minutes or so sowing to the spirit right now, I want you to write the death warrant for that deed of the flesh. I want you to write it, you know, it might be in your journal right now, it might be in your heart, and I want you to get a little snare drum out and start walking that stupid thing to the gallows this morning and get ready when you get home. When you tackle it this week through prayer and fasting, get ready. We're going to just start. We're going to lock and load those deeds of the flesh, and we're going to do some kill shots. These things are dying today. They're dying this week. There's no, there's no way to sugarcoat it, but that they need to be executed. Ephesians 4.22 says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then put on the new man, which was a created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're going to put off the old man. Or as Colossians 3.5 says, therefore put to death your members that are on the earth. Put to death, kill it. Fornication uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Put these things to death. Stott said, I don't know that I have this quote for you, but that is, if temptation comes to us through what we see, handle, or visit, then we must be ruthless in not looking, not touching, not going, and so in controlling the very approaches to sin. If, if you mortify or put to death the deeds of the flesh, here's this beautiful phrase, you will live. You remember the negative? You're going to die. <laughs> but here is such a beautiful one. I mean, imagine, if you, you've seen enough of history, right? In the times of, of war and whole cities being bombed and, you know, just the perils of what life can bring. And, and if you were able to speak into somebody in the midst of the peril, the torment, the torture, 
You're going to live. What life that brings. And this is one of the several ways in which the radical principle of life through death lies at the heart of the gospel. There is life that comes through the death of the flesh, the death of the deeds of the flesh. Now, I want to write out a few things for you guys of what mortification is not. And I wish I could say I have an original thought in my head of all this, but everything I've ever gotten, I've gotten from other guys. And when it comes to Romans 8, 13, John Owens, the uh, 16, about 1650s preacher uh, from Oxford University, wrote the book, The Mortification of Sin in the Life of the Believer. And I'm going to give you, I think it's 10 quotes from John Owen. I can give them to you later. These have stuck in my heart since I preached this uh, in 2012. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to give you like the nuggets from his book. But first of all, what mortification is not? Number one, mortification is not perfection. Okay. And here's what Owen says on this, John Owen. To mortify a sin is not utterly to kill, root it out and destroy it that it should have no more hold at all, nor residence in our heart. It is true that this is what is aimed at, but this is not in this life to be accomplished. There's no man that truly sets himself to mortify any sin, but he aims at, intends, desires its utter destruction, that it should leave neither root nor fruit in the heart or life. He would so kill it that it should never move nor stir anymore, cry or call, seduce or tempt to eternity. It's not, it's not being is the thing aimed at. And so I think what Owen is getting at there is for many of these things we struggle with, it's going to be a lifelong battle and we're always aiming at slaughtering it. Every time it tries to raise its head and come back at us again. Philippians 3.12 says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Jesus Christ has laid hold of me. So it's not perfection. That's the aim. All right. But number two, it's not deceiving others about your sin. That's not mortification. It's not deceiving others about your sin. Owen says, Outward respects forsakes the practice of any sin. Men perhaps may look on him as a changed man. God knows that to his former iniquity, he hath added cursed hypocrisy and is got in a safer path to hell than he was in before. He hath got another heart than he had that is more cunning, not a new heart that is more holy." And so in our desire to kill sin and crucify the flesh, uh, we don't want to just try to create some pattern in our life where we can, we're just more of a trickster. We're more deceitful. No one can, can like see it in our life. It's just a different heart than we had before, but it's not the new heart of transformation that comes through the gospel. Third thing that mortification is not is the improvement toward a quiet, sedated nature. Sounds good. Sounds like that might be mortification. Owen says, some man 
have an advantage by their natural constitution so far as they are not exposed to such violence of unruly passions and tumultuous affections as many others are. Let not such persons try their mortification by such things as their natural temper gives no life or vigor to. Let them bring themselves to self-denial, unbelief, envy, or some such spiritual sin, and they will have a better view of themselves. And so just because you're naturally kind of a more tempered individual, um, that doesn't mean that you have um, killed the flesh. All right, that might just be your natural inclination. And so digging a little deeper like Paul, I wouldn't have known covetousness unless the Lord had showed me thou shalt not covet. And then he had to begin rooting that out and and killing that in his life. Fourthly, a sin is not mortified when it's only diverted. All right, men in age, this is Owens, do not usually persist in the pursuit of youthful lusts although they've never mortified any one of them. And the same is the case of bartering of lusts and leaving to serve one that a man may serve another. He that changes pride for worldliness, sensuality for Phariseeism, vanity in himself to the contempt of others, let him not think that he hath mortified the sin that he seems to have left. He hath changed his master, but is a servant still." And so don't just go from like, oh man, I used to be lustful, but now I'm just a total gossip, you know? And it's like, all right, let's let the Lord slaughter this and let's let the Lord slaughter this in our life as well. Fifth, occasional conquests do not amount to mortifying sin. So uh, here's a first part that's not on the screen for you. When it hath had some sad eruption to the disturbance of his peace, terror of his conscience, dread of scandal, and evident provocation of God. In a time of some judgment, calamity, or pressing affliction, and then here we have your quote for you, lust is quiet for a season being run down before them. But when the hurry is over and the inquest past, the thief appears again alive and is as busy as ever at his work. And so that goes with uh, the fifth point, Uh, occasional conquests do not amount to mortifying sin. And so it's not these moments of life where we mortify sin. It's every second of every minute of every hour of every day for the rest of our life that we have this duty. Mortification means more than embarrassed. It means cold-blooded murder towards the deeds of the flesh. The language speaks of violence, and we need to get violent against sin. The reason we see so much violence in the world is because men have not been violent in their killing of sin. Owen says, the prescription of the duty mentioned is, the mortification of indwelling sin remaining in our mortal bodies, that it may not have life and power to bring forth the works and the deeds of the flesh, listen to this, is the constant duty of believers. The constant duty of you, Christian, is to regularly, intentionally mortify sin in your life, that it may have no life, no power, to bring forth the deeds of the flesh. 
It's been said, the ruthlessness of sin requires the ruthlessness against sin. Be ruthless against it. John Stott said, mortification is a clear-sighted recognition that evil is evil, leading to such a decisive and radical repudiation of it that no imagery can do it justice except putting it to death. And so it speaks of an execution. Friends, never show it mercy. Never show it mercy. It will never show you mercy. And you know how it is. You've been away from it for a while and then you just kind of remember those days. Remember the pleasure. You know, it's almost like Israel when they left Egypt, you know, and they're like, remember the melons and the leeks and the onions we used to eat when we were slaves to Pharaoh. Good times, good times. And it's like, really? You're picking out the leeks and the onions as the things that you miss? <sighs> Woo, your honey ain't remembering it too fondly. I'm telling you that, but it, it'll never be merciful to you. And so don't pick it up. Don't stroke it. Don't cherish it. Don't remember it. Don't look at it. When Israel was to go into the promised land and the, all the idols were under every green tea, uh, green tea and green trees on the high hills, the Lord said, don't even look at the idols when you're going to go crush them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't even look at it lest you be tempted into it. Don't give your sin a second glance or think of it how it may have some good qualities or you had good times. Slay it. Owen says, indwelling sin is compared to a person, a living person called the old man with his faculties and properties, his wisdom, his craft, his subtlety, his strength. This, says the apostle, must be killed, put to death, mortified. That is, have its power, life, vigor, and strength to produce its effects taken away by the Spirit. And then this famous, I think this is the most famous John Owens quote from his book, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Galatians 5.24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. <laughs> James 1 tells us a process by which we fall into sin and are tempted. Each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And man, you could read James 1 and then the garden account of Eve being tempted into sin and match point by point how Eve fell into sin. And what that led to, you could take your sin struggle, plug it into James 1, and see point by point how you are drawn away. Each man is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. It's kind of this, someone once said, uh, it's not a sin for the crows to fly over your head, but it's a sin to let them nest there. You know, And so, man, there's, there's desires, there's things, they're going to come by. And, and, but when we allow ourselves to be drawn away by those desires, well, then it goes on to say, then we're enticed. And then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, it brings forth death. Alistair Begg always had this wonderful quote, and I don't know if he started with it, but it says, kill the thought 
before it becomes an action. Kill the action before it becomes a habit. Kill the habit before it becomes a lifestyle. Kill the lifestyle before it kills you. Kill it. It must be dealt with decisively. Cut off the hand, as Jesus says. In Mark 9, 43 through 48, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And did Jesus literally mean chop off your hand? You know, I don't think that that's a bad final solution, maybe, when it comes to killing sin. But you also don't read in history of just a whole bunch of these people called Christians walking around with no hands, no eyes, no feet, you know, like they were a really maimed group of people, you know, right? And then he goes on and he speaks about gouging out your eye or things like that that would cause you to sin. And Hebrews 12, 4 says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed in your striving against sin. Oh, this sin, it's just got my number. I can't beat it. And it's like, when was the last time you killed something? <laughs> you know, when was the last time? I remember one girl got saved during our youth revival and she was listening to really bad music. And so we took the music out and hung the CDs on the juniper trees and then blew it away with shotguns. <laughs> you know, and maybe you might take your paraphernalia Take it out to the desert and burn it. When I was in high school, um, my upstairs bedroom had an attic with this really cool door uh, built in. You could go into this attic. And when I went into the attic, I was probably a sophomore, junior. I found a box of pornography. And, oh my goodness, like my heart just went up into my throat, you know. And it was just like one of those moments that can can change your life, you know? And I just had this vision of what I was supposed to do with this. And I took it out into our horse pasture and I set it on fire with a match. And it just burned right there with the horses and the dogs and everything looking and just this little campfire that I had going on by a creek there in, in a pasture in Lakeview. But you have not yet resisted to bloodshed and you're striving against sin. First Corinthians says, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest when I've preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. We put discipline into our fitness, into our dieting. And now it's time to put the energy and the thoughtfulness into our holiness. In all of this, we need to know our enemy. We need to know that this stuff is satanic and demonic. We remember this from last year in our time of fasting and the men's muster. And, you know, the Old Testament, if you were to worship idols, and we know that anything that's a sin that we choose over God is idolatry. The Old Testament says that is you're worshiping demons. Okay? So there's demonic stuff in this stuff that can get a hold on us. Uh, he's ruthless, the enemy. He's out for blood. He never sleeps. And he will never give you a break from when you need to be mortifying sin. Sometimes I'm seeing a couple double quotes that I'm doing here, so I'm going to skip that one. We also need to know the enemy's strategy and tactics. 
when he strikes, when he flanks, when he knows how to, there's a new word the kids are using these days, trigger you, right? First Peter 5, 8 says, be sober and be vigilant. Be looking around with open eyes because your adversary, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. There is no time for laziness and slothfulness when it comes to our holiness. Be vigilant. Can you believe the enemy just tried to attack us right there? Uh-uh. Going down, right? Uh, we need to know his weapons. We learned this a lot last year during the fast, during the men's muster, um, that, uh, that we have weapons of uh, the, our warfare that are not carnal. But in our weaponry, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, lest Satan would take advantage of us for we're not ignorant of his devices. So he's got devices and weapons and we want to know our enemy's weaponry so that we know how to disarm him. And then we want to know our weaponry. And I don't have time today to get into it with you, but second Corinthians 10, three Ephesians six ten. speak of the weapons of our warfare. I, uh, two times this week, this has come up just in my living being a little bit of a history buff and it's the Dwight D. Eisenhower letter that he sent out to all the troopers that were going to go out and fight and invade Europe on D-Day. Listen to this. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade towards which we've striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you in company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arm on other fronts. You will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened, He will fight savagely. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion, and duty and skill in battle. We will accept accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck. And let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. And if you will translate that battle to the battle against our flesh, I love this. I have full confidence in you Christians, in your courage, in your devotion to duty and your skill in battle. And that we as Christians will accept nothing less than full victory. And this brings us to the B, or I guess it's the A part of the verse. I don't even know what I'm doing up here. So confusing. First of all, okay. And it is that it's by the spirit that we do these things. It's by the power of the spirit. As Eisenhower says, let us beseech the blessing of almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking of killing sin. If by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the new living translation says through the power of the Holy spirit, Put to death your sinful nature. Colin Cruz said, perhaps we could say that it involves calling upon God to produce the fruit of his spirit in us 
when we're forced to temptation of the flesh, or I'm sorry, faced with temptation of the flesh, so that we may live in ways pleasing to God. And so it's calling upon God to produce this fruit, this mortification. When you're tempted and you see that enemy lift his head up again and come back for more, you hit the deck and you beseech God for power to win that battle. Stott says, we note at once that it's something that we have to do. It's not a question of dying or of being put to death, but of putting to death. In the work of mortification, we are not passive, waiting for it to be done to us or for us. On the contrary, we are responsible for putting it to death by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 is so wonderful because it speaks to what the indwelling of the Spirit means for the Christian. What he has bought and paid for in our lives. And one of those things, and it's a precious and wonderful thing, is that there is power to kill sin by the Spirit. Some translate this driven by the spirit to kill sin. Stott said, and it's just a little bit of a quote, I'm not sure I had it for you guys today. We have to pull it out, look at it, denounce it, hate it for what it is, and then you've readily dealt with it. The power to do this, it's not in our own flesh, not in our own clever ideas, but it's by the spirit. I think this is my last, one of my last John Owens quotes. And I'll tell you, no, I see another one there. This quote is another one that's just seared, you know, kill sin or it'll be killing you. Pretty easy to remember, right? This one, you guys, always comes up. Mortification from a self-strength carried on by ways of self-invention Unto the end of self-righteousness is the soul and substance of all false religion in the world. And this is a second principle of my ensuing discourse. And so, you know, the, the religious people out there and all the different, even the cults and man, you look at the aestheticism of Buddhists or Muslims, they know how to like stop doing things. But you read the New Testament and you see that the model, the motivation, the the propelling power is the gospel. We see Jesus doing it before for us, giving us an example. We see that he's not left us as an orphan, but he's given us the Holy Spirit to have power over sin and to kill sin. And he's working sanctification in us, not for self-righteousness or so that we could be Pharisees and legalists and puffed up, but that we could give him glory and help lead others to such wonderful life as well. Jim Packer, J.I. Packer says, the motto for this section of Romans should not be let go and let God, but rather trust God and get going by the power of the Holy Spirit that we kill sin. It's kind of a paradox, I know. We must labor, and yet it's in the Lord's power. Philippians kind of goes into this. My beloved, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so there's this true duty for us as Christians, working out our salvation, working it out, working out. But we don't stop there. We continue the verse and it says, 
For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So as we go about the task of killing sin, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we're beseeching the power of Almighty God for this great and noble undertaking. Because it's him who works within us for his good pleasure. Genesis 4, 7. Sin lies at the door. God's speaking to Cain and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. And so I encourage you, church, cultivate a life of the spirit. It's by the spirit that we put to death the deeds of the flesh. And I feel like this is just a perfect sermon as we go into the week of prayer and fasting. You know, usually this Sunday before prayer and fasting, I, I teach a sermon on fasting. I teach another sermon on fasting. I've, I've taught so many sermons on fasting. It's hard to prepare sermons on fasting. And, and I was just like, Lord, what would you have this year? And I just felt, just keep going through Romans. And it just happens to be we're in this beautiful, powerful text about victory over sin, getting it out of our lives, slaying it by the power of the Spirit. And what is fasting? What is prayer? What is reading the Word of God but sowing to the Spirit? And I want to encourage you guys this week. And I I don't even want to say, if you've been struggling with sins and have had trouble getting rid of them and breaking them and moving on in freedom, come join us in the fast. I'm not going to say that even though I just said it. Because what Owens was saying was, it is the continual duty of Christians to be living this out. You might be living in, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the seri- uh, the, um, maybe a time of like walking with the Lord by still waters right now in your life. I don't need to mortify sin. There's nothing. Re- it's like, y- y- take heed if you stand, lest you fall. All right. Don't even say that. You need to have vigilant eyes ready to kill things. In fact, maybe even your own security in your flesh is something that is causing you to stumble right now. And so I would encourage you as we go in this week, have a journal, write down to the Lord these things that keep coming at you and that you desire to put to death this week and just seek the Lord. As we read through John's writings, the Lord's going to have words for you in the scripture about how to kill this, how to slay it, how to have victory over it, and how in 30 years when it might rise its head again, how to not even look at it or, or have the pleasant memories of it. You're going to kill it right then in 30 years. It's done in your life. How he'll give you the victory. And so I encourage you this week, maybe just today you came here like, I didn't even know about the week of parent fasting. That's like a big old tall, you know, tough piece of leather jerky to try to chew this week with what I've got going on in my life. And man, I'm on this medication or, you know, I'm really trying to get ripped, you know, and I got to have this much protein every day. And it's like, you know, one year, I'm just reminded one year we had three track athletes come. We used to do it in April, the fast. And uh, we had three track stars come into the fast every single meeting. They were high schoolers and they were eating nothing all week. And they each PR'd in their event at a, at a race at the end of the week. And we were just rejoicing. Like, it's just amazing how the Lord super abounds, you know, as you would um, come to nothing and show your deep need for him. And so maybe you came, weren't planning on joining us at all. And I would just encourage you to do everything you can to be with us and seeking the Lord. 
and, uh, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, cultivating a life in the Spirit so that you can mortify the deeds of the flesh. <clears throat> the outcome of mortification of sin is that you shall live. You shall live. Owens, know two things. The necessity of mortification unto life. And secondly, the certainty of life upon mortification. Ye shall live. Lead a good, vigorous, comfortable, spiritual life while you're here and obtain eternal life hereafter. The vigor and power and comfort of our spiritual life depends on the mortification of the deeds of the flesh. We long for revival and movements of the Holy Spirit in our community and joy within our people. It all depends upon the mortification of the flesh. And our final verse today, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And, you know, this verse can often be taken out of context, especially maybe among the charismatic uh, Pentecostal community, and I would lump, you know, sometimes Calvary into that, where we love to say the phrase, led by the Spirit. I was led by the Spirit. I was led by the Spirit. And, you know, we may say that in the sense of, man, I was driving down the road. There was a hitchhiker. I passed him. I just felt the Lord say, pull over and pick this guy up and share the gospel with him. I was led by the Spirit to do that. We were led by the Spirit to move to Prineville. We were led by the Spirit to, you know, for Jimmy to play football this year. You know, we were led and we just, we kind of, it's kind of a buzzword among Christianity, right? Ah, led by the spirit, led by the spirit. But the context of this verse, the immediate context is its deep connection or its very close connection to verse 13. And really the, the immediate context is those who are led by the spirit in killing sin these are the sons and daughters of God. So who are the sons and daughters of God? One sure way to tell if somebody is a son or a daughter of God is that they, the Lord is just leading them different ways to slay that sinful beast in their life. And they're like creative and vigilant in the way that they have cut off this hand and cut off this source, though it's been very uncomfortable for their life, the Holy Spirit has led them uh, to do these things. And so in your life, whatever it is that you're struggling with, the battle that's been raging, go to the Holy Spirit. It's by the Spirit that we kill sin. We're led by the Spirit, verse 14, in how we kill sin. Seek the Lord this week. How can I cut this relationship off, you know, how do I cut off this, this struggle with lust or this struggle with, um, man, whatever it may be, right? How do we just get rid of this? And, uh, I remember one, um, one year we were watching a show in our home that just, I'd been feeling convicted about it and just shouldn't be watching this anymore. And it was my first year fasting. So it was my first full seven days, nothing but water, and went through that week and just was like, okay, um, like I need to go to our DVR set and delete this show off of our, back in the day, remember DVR, you know, I need to go delete uh, this um, show. And I got there and I'm going to delete it and it's gone. And I'm like, honey, it's incredible. The Lord was leading me to, to delete this and it was gone. And she goes, the Lord had been leading me to delete it. I already deleted it today, <laughs> you know? 
She's like, praise the Lord, we're the dream team, honey. Um, and so the Lord carries us, this word lead. He guides us. It speaks of spending time with him, leading us by the Spirit to kill sin. We don't kill the flesh to become sons and daughters of God, but we kill the flesh because we're sons and daughters of God. We'll talk more in the next week or so when we get picking up this about sons and daughters of God. There's this great next couple of verses about adoption and just the relationship we have with the Lord and how we can pray to him. And it's so sweet, so beautiful. We're not getting there today, but I would just say this, that not everybody in the world is a son or a daughter of God. You know, you watch Oprah or you watch whatever, and it's just like, we're all God's children, you know? And it may be true in the sense that God has created all of us, and so we're all his children through creation. But not everyone is God's children through adoption and receives the benefits of salvation and redemption. John chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 speak about, to those who received him, to those he gave uh, something like the privilege to be called sons and daughters of God. You must receive Jesus. You must repent of your sin and become a Christian. And then you're what we speak of here, someone who is led by the Spirit, especially in the case of mortifying sin. We're almost done, but it wouldn't be a great day if I didn't have a couple more John Owen quotes for you guys that you're so stoked about. Mortification is the soul's vigorous opposition to self, wherein sincerity is most evident. When you're killing sin, you're just slaughtering it. I mean, it's like you have your hand chopped off and your eye gouged out and you're limping around like, my life is different because I've been chopping off sin in my life. You can look at that individual and say, they are sincere in their walk with the Lord. He goes on to say, a sin weakens, as sin weakens, so it darkens the soul. It is a cloud, a thick cloud that spreads itself over the face of the soul and intercepts all the beams of God's love and favor. It takes away all sense of the privilege of our adoption. And if the soul begins to gather up thoughts of consolation, sin quickly scatters them. So sin uh, wants to dampen our joy of being sons and daughters of God. Um, we're going to do three characteristics of people indwelt by the spirit of God. We're not doing them today. This is a future sermon, but the first one is from verse 14 right here in that the spirit leads us to holiness or to radical holiness. We're going to go ahead and have uh, the worship team come on up and uh, close us down. Ending 10 o'clock on the nose. I think second service folks coming for the donut festival won't know what to do and they, they don't have to wait out in the snow today. Well, they do. It's 10 o'clock and I'm still going. But let's do this right now as we're closing, you guys. Let's we already have, but let's really let some um, movement happen, momentum happen as we're sowing to the Spirit this morning. 
Let's just let the wheels just get, I, I'm just thinking of like a big locomotive with a big heavy load. And, you know, it's just kind of as we start this morning, we're just that train that's just trying to start chug and trying to start hearing from the Lord on mortification of sin and something that I heard this week about fasting. And that would be a, a wonderful way to just seek the Lord and sow to the spirit and kill the flesh and not give the flesh what it wants every second of the day. I've got to mortify the flesh and, and show it who's boss and that the Lord is in control. And man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna commit. I'm gonna be diligent this week. I'm gonna dedicate time this week to sow to the spirit. And just as you're just making these responsive statements to the Lord, just feel that locomotive just starting to pick up some speed as it's gained some movement And I just believe the Lord is speaking that if you would just start this afternoon, start writing, maybe in a journal, be thoughtful in your thought process of just ways that you're going to seek the Lord this week and things that need to be cut out and cut off and canceled and disconnected and software that could be put on your devices and, you know, call the satellite company, cancel that, you know, just different things. Get a friend and confess the friend. We're going to read in john this week about confessing to the lord and being forgiven and just man just your train will just begin moving to where by friday there will be such momentum in your life that you'll just you'll just see great power and movement in spiritual life uh, for the lord and so will you stand with me right now and oh lord there's so much and your word is so great that we are not debtors to the flesh, to serve the flesh. But if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. And Lord, in this room, we know that there are places that we have just given a room for the flesh. And that if we keep sowing to that, we'll die. But we thank you that there, there wasn't a period there. It went on to say, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. And that your heart for us is life. We choose life. We want life, Lord. Deuteronomy, what we read this morning, you've set two ways before us today. And we want to choose life and freedom and blessing by obeying you, Lord. Help us in our weakness, Lord. Some of us, we just don't even know where to start, how to do this, Lord. By the Spirit, we can do these things. I think that's just such an encouragement for you today. If you feel very overwhelmed, I don't even know how to start. This is, my life has just been marked by this stuff, and I don't even know how I could ever find freedom, or where do I begin? And just today, let this moment just be you saying to the Lord, I hear you that you want to work in me strength to do this, to obey and to kill this stuff. And all I can say right now, Lord, is I hear you and I'm just asking for your power. I don't even know how to do it. I want to be the son and daughter of God I read about in verse 14 that I want to be led by the Spirit in killing my sin. Would you do that work in us, Lord? Let this week of prayer and fasting just be marked by just deliverance and freedom and just chains being broken. 
We look for, for that and forward to that, Lord. Go ahead, Ira. Go ahead and lead us in a song here as we close down. Yes, Lord, so good to be reminded in this song even of the gospel and that you came and lived a perfect life and showed us how to mortify the deeds of the flesh, how to say no to Satan. And you um, arose victorious, God. And you're our high priest who prays for us. You uh, were slain in your innocence, Lord, uh, there on the Roman cross. And your sinless, innocent blood atones for our sin. That Even though maybe today we just know we have failed, we have stumbled and fumbled and rebelled against you. And even have times of, of just just spiteful treatment of you in the way that we've sinned. And Lord, today there's mercy and grace because of the blood of the cross, because the Son of God died for sinners. So we just receive that mercy and grace today. And Lord, to be reminded in this song too that you live evermore. You rose from the dead and you give power. Resurrection power is last time we were in Romans, the the verse, verse 11 says that the spirit who rose Jesus from the dead lives within us so that we can have that powerful spirit helping us in mortification of the flesh. We just pray for this week, Lord, that such a work of your spirit will just happen in this place, that we would just be able to give you such glory and praise and just rise up a stone of remembrance in 2024 for what you've done for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great uh, Sunday donut fellowship time happening right here, right now in this room. And, uh, and then, hey, tomorrow, 6 a.m., we'll be here probably in the prayer chapel. Uh, best way to get in is to come around uh, through the kitchen door and, and join us that direction. So see you guys tomorrow, 6 a.m., noon, 6 p.m. Looking forward to it with you guys.